Well, it is so good to be with you guys. So I had an interesting time getting into town, y'all. Uh, but so I was flying into Austin out of Orange County on Friday, and um, y'all have some intense weather here. Man, we're flying into inn, and it, it is bumpy, seriously bumpy. And we get to the airport, and the captain comes on and says, uh, attention, the weather conditions have dropped below the minimum acceptable levels. We're not going to be able to land. I'm like, minimum acceptable levels below the minimum acceptable levels? And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you know, Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always. And we're at like 20,000 feet or whatever it is, and so I was concerned. And we're going through these moments where the plane like drops for about five seconds, but it feels like five minutes, you know? Crazy. Anyway, we got in, so it's really a blessing to be here. And I love the feel of this church. You guys love Jesus. The presence of God is here. And I feel like I'm at home. Such a blessing. Anyway, greetings from the community of believers in Southern California is my son, who is a surfer and, and is going to school down in Malibu, would say. I'm frothing off the Stoke scale right now to be with you guys. And uh, Ross asked me to share with you a little bit about, about my life story, so I'm going to do that. Um, I, I have tremendous respect for the pulpit. I have tremendous respect for the Word of God. I count it a privilege to be here. You know, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and, and I, I care very much about the accountability that I have before Jesus um, as, I, as I speak with you today. And so I want to lay a little bit of biblical groundwork, and I want to talk to you guys about the thing that I am most passionate about. The thing that I am most passionate about is relationship with Jesus. I want to know him. It is the one thing that really, really matters to me. And there's nothing that excites me more in all of life than seeing people connect with him and get tight with him and know him well. Intimacy with Jesus is the driving passion of my life. And so before I get into my story with you, because I have a very unusual story, um, and, and I trust that God will, will speak to you through it. But I want to lay a little bit of biblical groundwork before we get into that, if that's okay. So we're going to start off all the way back at the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 26. And I'm going to have to just kind of bounce off some of these issues because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, but this is a really amazing thing. The Bible starts off with this revelation right in the first chapter. God is speaking, and he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is us? Whose likeness is our likeness? We're using plural language here. All the way back in the first chapter of Genesis, we, we see the Trinity, the concept of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit embedded there. And, and God is, is, is speaking among himself. The members of the Trinity are talking, saying, let us make man in our, in our image. He is a singular plurality. He's one God, three persons. I love that you guys said the creed during worship. That is so cool. He existed, God existed in perfect relationship with himself prior to the creation of anything. God is a God of relationship intrinsically. Essentially, he is a God of relationship. He is all about relationship. God is all about relationship, period. He loves it. He created us to share it with us. We are created for relationship with him. The Trinity is what theologians call the hypostatic union. God exists in this state of perfect unity, perfect relationship, even before he created anything else. Now, as we continue reading on in the Genesis narrative, we see that God creates man 
And, and what does he start doing once this happens? Well, he starts having relationship with Adam, right? He's spending time with him. He's speaking with him. And, and uh, you get the sense that they are, are, are close, that they are intimate, that there is a daily, and we'll see this a little bit more in, in, in just a moment, interaction and relationship that, that Adam's having with God because that's what God created him for. And, you know, I have three sons uh, at home. And when, when my boys were younger, I used to take them on, on business trips with me, and we would always do a special outing when we went on a trip. And so the guys, they loved their special outings with Dad because it was just them and me. And one of the places I used to have to go a lot was San Diego. Has anyone ever been to the San Diego Zoo? That is a cool zoo, isn't it? And so my kids used to love to go to the San Diego Zoo on a special outing. And there's, there's a day that we actually get just a little snapshot of in Genesis where, where God takes Adam on a special outing to the zoo. It's a zoo day. And he says, okay, Adam, special outing day. I'm going to have all the animals go, you know, parading by you, and you're going to name them all. Now, can you imagine that task? That would be a big task. But it's very relational. And it's very interesting that God chose to name the animals through Adam rather than just doing it himself. And you can tell it was a long day. And it would be a long day, right? That's a lot of animals. So he starts off like hippopotamus, orangutan, duck-billed platypus, all these long names. By the end of the day, he is tired. Duck, dog, cat, (laughs) bat, (laughs) rat. But God is relational. Now, if we keep on reading a little further along in Genesis, in chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, Adam and Eve at this point have sinned. God said, hey, y'all can do anything you want in the garden, but don't do this. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the one thing that they were absolutely forbidden to do. And what did they do? They did that one thing. Now, how many of you can remember when you were young and you got into something that you weren't supposed to and you knew you were going to be in trouble, man? You were going to be in trouble when dad got home. And maybe your mother even said to you, you just wait till your father gets home. You know, that's not a good feeling. That's a scary feeling, right? And you figure that, that Adam and Eve are probably feeling a lot like that, Right? And so the first words your father would say when he walked in the house, when you're in this situation, man, you were dreading those words, right? But if we look here in Genesis 3, 8, and 9, it's so interesting. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they're hiding. So they don't see him. They just hear him. How do they know it's him? Because they're used to it. This is a daily, regular occurrence because God made them for relationship with him and they're enjoying that relationship there in the garden and so they hear him and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man and said to him you wait till I get my hands on you it's not what he said is it what does he say where are you how come because he loves them they've broken fellowship with him They've broken relationship with him. Adam, Eve, where are you? I love you. I miss you. I made you for a relationship with me. Just like each one of us was made for relationship with him. So Adam and Eve have sinned. They've become imperfect. And imperfect, sinful things cannot have a perfect relationship with a perfect God. It's impossible. Their relationship with God was broken. The world that Adam and Eve were supposed to rule over on God's behalf became broken in the process. Have you all noticed the world is broken? The weather was definitely broken when I was coming in. 
And we get born into this broken world, and we're broken too because broken things cannot give birth to perfect things. We're born broken. We're born sinful. We're born separated from a holy God, the God who created us for perfect relationship with him. Now, it's funny, before I became a parent, I used to not believe in original sin. I used to have this argument with Britt, actually. I thought that sin was something that we learned from our sinful environment. And then I was raising my my wonderful little two-year-old boy, and he came running up to me one day and told me a lie. Just told me a lie. I'm like, who taught him that? I haven't lied to him. Melanie, have you lied to him? Oh, I haven't lied to him. And I realized I got a little lesson from reality. Don't you hate it when your theology runs up smack up against reality and it turns out that reality's right and your theology's wrong? It was one of those moments. I had to make an adjustment there. And even if we didn't inherit original sin, how long would it have been before your sin would have been enough to absolutely condemn you and separate you from God? Not very long. Not very long. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is a consuming fire. Unholiness, unrighteousness, brokenness has no place in his presence. But we were made for relationship with him. If we skip on down a little bit more to Genesis 3.21, I love this verse. It is so telling. It's so easy to miss it. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them, it says. Now, to make these clothes of skin, something had to die, right? Something had to die. Instead of exacting his perfect justice on them right then, right there, because what did he tell them? He said, hey, if you sin, you're going to die. And something had to die. But that day, it wasn't them. And so something had to die to cover their sins, to restore them to relationship with God. And we see a foreshadowing of Christ all the way back in Genesis 3. Isn't that amazing? Because God is all about relationship. Now, we all know why Jesus came, right? Even, even if you've never been to church, if you've been to enough football games, you, you know John 3.16. Why don't we say it together? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him... Good church, Ross. Good church, man. That's right. So, Jesus came that we would have everlasting life. Jesus came that we would have eternal life, right? And we're, we're aware that's, that's, that's his mission statement. So, what is eternal life? Now, before I became a Christian, when I heard the words eternal life, I'm thinking cherubs, wings, clouds, harps, robes, these kinds of things. Kinds of things I was not very excited about. That was not a party that I was going to RSVP for, you know. But Jesus gives us a definition of eternal life that's completely different from that. And it can be shocking if we haven't really paid attention to it. John 17, verse 3. This is my life verse right here. I love this scripture. I, mean, I love the Bible, but this is it for me, John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Amen. Eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. That's why he came. It's not floating around on the clouds in heaven with a harp or even a really nice guitar. 
It's knowing him. Eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. That's his definition. And when does that start? You mean we're in eternal life right now? If we know Jesus, we are in eternal life right now. Now, there's a couple different phases to it, but we are experiencing eternal life right now if we're in Christ. It's an awesome thing. And so what's this eternal life supposed to be like? Well, Jesus tells us down in John 10.10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus came to bring eternal life. Now, sometimes we think about being a Christian, we think about being in a relationship with Jesus, and we go, oh, well, that's just going to be about a bunch of rules. That's just going to add a bunch of rules to my life. That's going to be all about the things that I'm not supposed to do, all about the things that I can't do. And the reality is, is there are some rules. But here's the other reality, is every valuable relationship that you have has rules to it. You can't have a close, intimate relationship without some rules. Rules are not always bad. Rules protect relationship. Now, if they replace relationship, that is bad. That brings death. But just because perhaps we've been in that situation where instead of relationship, we were given a bunch of rules and Jesus' name was slapped on it, it does not mean that there aren't some rules to the relationship. Now, If you think about this a little bit and you try to have an intimate, valuable relationship with anyone without some rules, then just try it. It's going to be a mess. If you tried it with your hairdresser or with your barber, think about it. Just don't show up for an appointment sometime because there's a rule. You're supposed to keep your appointments, right? Just don't show up or show up whenever you want. Are you going to get a haircut? Are you going to get that new frosting or whatever it is? (laughs) Probably not. Hey, how about this one? Try not paying for your haircut. Just break a rule? How's that relationship going to be? How are you going to look after your next haircut? Yeah, and it's better not to show up than to show up ugly, right? Absolutely. Um, Think about your relationship with your dog. Does it have rules? Mine does. I'm supposed to feed him? I have a puppy at home named Max, a little boxer puppy. He is awesome. I'm supposed to feed him. I'm supposed to give him water. I'm supposed to pet him. I'm supposed to take him for walks. He expects this of me. And I do these things, and he loves me because of it. And he is not supposed to poop on the carpet. And he's been breaking the rules. And this has been stressing our relationship. Because rules protect relationships. How about your spouse? There's some rules there? Absolutely. Could you have that intimate relationship with your spouse without those rules? No. Be preposterous. What if she broke some of them on you? Or vice versa. Oh my. Intimate, close relationships require some rules. But rules can never take the place of those relationships. Now, so Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to bring you a list of rules. I came to bring you abundant life. And what is that abundant life supposed to be like? The the Greek word that's translated abundantly here is parasos. It means more than sufficient. It means over and above what is required. It means out of the ordinary. It is superior. It is this extraordinary, overflowing, frothing off the stoke scale kind of life that Jesus is talking about, right? Are you feeling frothy? I'm feeling frothy. 
And this is what everybody is after. Everybody really wants abundant life. They just don't necessarily know where to find it, right? And if we could find real abundant life outside of Christ, he would not have had to come to bring it, right? He wouldn't have had to come and suffer and die. If there was this kind of life outside of him, he wouldn't have needed to come. But he said, I came to bring you abundant life. And you can't find it anywhere else. And I know because I tried. You can't find it outside of Christ. I could not be satisfied in the depths of my soul, no matter what I did, no matter what I tried, until I met Jesus Christ. And once I found him, once I met him, now I'm not talking about the idea of him, I am talking about Jesus Christ the person, Jesus Christ the man, Jesus Christ our God. Once I met him, I realized he was all I had ever been looking for and that I would never need to look for anything else. So we can see as we've looked at this, the Bible teaches us that God is all about relationship, that Jesus came to bring us eternal life, that eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ, and that knowing Jesus is this abundant, superior, extraordinary, stoke-scale, frothing experience. That's what it's all about. And so I was looking for this. I just didn't know I was looking for it. But it drove me to him because I tried almost everything else. So I met the Lord uh, about 25 years ago. Radically changed my life. Um, Give you guys a little bit of of, of my background before I kind of give you the story. Uh, I was born uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. My parents were going to graduate school there in uh, 1966. So this is during the Vietnam War in Madison where the peace movement began. I mean, hippies are coming out of the woodworks, okay? Uh, My dad is a uh, philosophy professor, very, very sharp guy. My mother is extremely compassionate, social activist. And so we got raised in this household of of activism and intellectualism and liberalism. And um, we were all about all of the things that we thought we could do to, to, to help people. And so I figured that, that God was out there. Um, I didn't know really too much about him, but I figured that we were sort of on good terms. And, you know, it's so funny how God makes us in his image, then we turn around and make him in ours. And so I figured that he was cool and that he was just a lot like me, and we were, we were cool with each other, you know. And so uh, I'm going along in this way, and uh, we occasionally went to churches, uh, usually mainline churches. I don't think I ever really, really heard the gospel um, I did occasionally have people come and say, hey, you know, you better make sure that you, that you believe in Jesus because if you don't, you're going to go to hell because he died for your sins. I'm like, well, where did he get the right to die for my sins? They're mine. If somebody needs to die for them, it should be me. And furthermore, I don't really think I have any. And furthermore, if you Christians are going to be in heaven, I'd rather be in hell. And I'm serious. I would say this because I, if there was, there was one kind of person I could not stand... Christians drove me berserk, so narrow-minded. They had all these exclusive claims about their faith. How dare they tell me there's one way to God? They couldn't run that stuff down on me. And so I used to engage, I used to argue, and I used to largely dismantle these folks. I mean, it's horrible to think back on. On the other hand, we need to know why we believe what we believe. 
And if, if some smart aleck kid with some philosophical background can, can tear it down in 15 minutes, we got a problem. But we need to know more than just a system of belief. We need to know, y'all know the truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. The truth is not a list of things that we're supposed to believe. The truth is a person. And we have to know the truth. So anyway, I used to just dismantle Christians. Um, But I became increasingly uncomfortable with what I believed because I wasn't sure why I was on the earth. I wasn't sure if there was a purpose to existence. I wasn't sure if God was really out there. took an English class where we were studying um, humanism, and the professor was just running this stuff down on us and existentialism. He's going, hey, there is no God. It's all a big accident. You're just here, and you just got to make the best of it. Life is what we make of it. And so this actually started to bug me, really started to bug me. And I started to feel empty. And I started searching for the truth. And I started checking out other faiths because, man, I was not going to look at Christianity. That was for sure. And so I, I looked into Buddhism and Baha'ism and, and all these different things. And eventually I, I, I sort of stumbled into this um, South American uh, sort of mysticism. Um, it's just basically a form of witchcraft. And, and there was this professor at uh, University of Southern California who really had a powerful outreach for the devil. And I was reading his stuff, and I was getting into it. And I was giving myself over to this stuff. And I was going out into nature, and I was seeking spiritual allies. And I was starting to have these experiences. And I was starting to, be, to become empowered. I started to have the ability to manipulate the things and the people around me somewhat with this supernatural power and I thought these things were my allies and my friends and every now and then I'd have some kind of encounter with these quote allies that would scare me to death because every now and then their true demonic malevolent intent became terrifyingly apparent man and and there's there's a real devil out there and he's got real power and, and I saw some, some amazing things, but it was also eating me alive. Scary stuff. So anyway, I'm in this state, and, uh, and I'm still not satisfied. I um, started singing lead in a, in a rock band, just pursuing just this very, very hedonistic lifestyle. And so uh, I decide that I'm going to sign up for a ski trip with some buddies. We're at Auburn University at the time, and Britt and Audrey were there. And uh, so I signed up for this ski trip, and we go to the organizational meeting. We're sitting in the meeting, and, okay, so I knew, like, pretty much every song that had ever been recorded. Music was one of my gods. And I could listen to, you know, 10 seconds of any song and tell you who it was and what the song was and probably what album it was. And I'm sitting in there, and I'm listening. I'm going, I don't recognize this music. It's very low. It's in the background. I'm like, what is this? This music sounds weird, and I don't recognize it. There is a problem here. It's Keith Green. So Keith Green's playing in the background. So I'm already feeling uncomfortable, you know. And then, uh, so they're talking, and one of the gals stands up and says, and, you know, we're just going to take turns making meals for each other, and we're going to take turns cleaning and doing dishes and just enjoying the blessing of being a servant. I'm like, blessing of being a servant? There's no blessing in being a servant. What I was trying to do was be the master and use everybody to get what I wanted. I didn't want to serve anybody. And I went, oh, my gosh, these people are Christians. <laughs> I am surrounded with them right now. And there was one in particular, Britt was sitting across the room from me, you know. And um, do you guys know Britt? Who knows Britt Hancock? Yeah, Britt is the man. Um, Britt, have you ever seen Britt get intense at all? <laughs> he can get a little intense at times. 
And so he's got that Holy Spirit intensity. He is staring holes into me. And then, of course, I got all these things churning around inside of me. It's like laser beams of fire and ice are coming across the room and meeting in the middle. It's like, this thing's happening. And I just, I can't wait to get out of there. And I, so I, I'm trying to decide if I should just run up in the middle of the meeting or try to slip out quietly afterwards. Get out of there. I tell my buddies, guys, there is no way. There is no way that I'm going on this trip. I want my money back. Ran down to the student union the next day, demanded my money back. We're sorry, Colin. We cannot give you your money back. You can just leave your deposit with us, uh, you know, and it's going to continue to go towards the, the trip that it's been earmarked for, or you can just go. My friends are like, Colin, come on, man. It's not that bad. You know, we'll, we'll be there and we'll, we'll hang out and, you know, you don't have to worry about it. And so I just expected the very, very worst, y'all, the worst. And so we went on this trip with these Christians to Crested Butte, and I had a great time with them. And they were an enigma to me because they were having so much fun. And they weren't on drugs and they weren't drinking, and they weren't getting the munchies, and they weren't hung over the next day. And I'm like, what is this? Where can I buy some of this? I want some of this. And so it was really cool, and none of them came after me in an aggressive, nasty way about the gospel. And there is a time to get very aggressive about it, but there's also a time to, to love, love on people. And this was one of those times for me, and it just, it just worked. And I don't think there's a formula to it. There are, there are times where we need a fire and brimstone message, and there are times when we let our actions be the message. Anyway, I could feel the presence of God among these people, just like I can feel it in the room right now. And it, it was like a drug. It reminded me of the effects of a drug, except it never wore off. And this was, this was amazing to me. I never experienced anything like it. So get back to Auburn, and um, there was one gal in particular this is Audrey's roommate, actually, that I was very attracted to, and I thought, man, I'm going to date this girl. And so I'm a rock star, right, in my own mind, at least. And, you know, I'm singing in clubs and things and frat parties, and, you know, so I figured I could date pretty much anybody when I wanted to. Well, this girl wouldn't date me. And she kept going, I can't be unequally yoked. <laughs> I'm like, are we talking eggs here? What are we even talking about, unequally yoked? I mean, no church background, y'all. Just no, no church background at all. And so, man, I put the full court press on this gal. And so, you know, our faith was our dividing issue. And so I, I just gave her faith every possible philosophical, intellectual onslaught that I had at my disposal. I mean, tooth and nail. And we used to argue. So she would continue to hang out with me. We would go and we would argue. We would argue till we just argued to a standstill. And she'd go, Colin, oh, yeah, I know what you're saying that you read in, in uh, that, that book, Khalil Gibran. Did you know Jesus said that? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I don't want to know that Jesus said that. And um, so we, we couldn't get over this impasse. In the meantime, okay, this is where things get a little crazy. So I've told you guys I was into this sort of spiritism, and things were getting pretty dark and pretty intense for me. And so one day I'm in the shower, and I'm listening to Led Zeppelin, and my amp has turned up to 11, and I am just jamming out, just loving it. And I'm going, boy, there is more than music here. There is power. I don't know where that power comes from, but I want it. And I had this proposition just be presented to me right in my mind. This, this thought, this, this proposition comes to my awareness Colin, give me your life. Give me your band. I'll give you this power. I'm like, okay. And I knew it was Satan. But I didn't care. I didn't think he was necessarily bad. 
I just knew it was him. And I'm going, hey, this sounds like a deal. I want that. I want what Led Zeppelin had. And so I got out of the shower and I called up the, the boys in the band and say, fellas, at practice on Friday night. We're committing the band to Satan. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be famous and rich. And so four out of five of them were like, all right, dude, let's do that. There's one of them. This poor guy was so miserable. He's a backslidden Christian. Um, he wasn't happy in church and he wasn't happy in the bars. He just wasn't happy, period. And, you know, sometimes I'd rather be around wholehearted sinners and half-hearted saints. Um, and this poor guy was, was definitely in that place. So he, he gave me a little pushback. But, but other than that, so it's Wednesday, Friday night, we're committing the band to Satan. And so Elizabeth and I are getting together. And we, we go out to a park near my parents' home in Auburn, Alabama. It seemed like an extra dark night. It was weird. It was foggy. It, it felt balmy, but it felt cold at the same time. It was just a strange, strange deal. And we're sitting in the park, and it's, it's empty. And we're arguing. And she's giving me the four spiritual laws for like the 25th time. You know, Colin, Jesus loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. But then it takes a new twist. But the devil has you. And he also has a plan for your life. And it is almost too late for you. And as she's saying this, all of a sudden, with my eyes wide open, you guys, I see myself laying in this giant black hand. And there's like talons on the ends of these huge demonic fingers. And they're just closing in. And they're about to rip my chest wide open. Terrified me. Terrified me. I knew it was true. She had no way of knowing what was going on in my life at that time. But God knew. And see, the thing is, I had become so desperate to know the truth, y'all. I had started praying, going, God, I don't know if you're there. But if you are there, I've got to know the truth. I didn't know the truth was a person. I didn't know he had already died to know me. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm willing to die to know the truth. I don't want to be a Christian and I don't want to go to heaven, but I've got to know the truth. And God knew what I needed to bring me to that place. And so as I'm sitting there looking at myself in this hand, absolutely terrified, and I cannot explain this, but I'm telling you this is what happened. It was like the heavens opened and God reached down and he touched me right on my right shoulder. I don't know why it was my right shoulder, but it was. And it was like being connected with a jillion watts of power. And in that instant, I knew that God was real. I knew that he was there. I knew I had despised him and rejected him for 21 years. I knew he loved me. I knew he was good. I knew he was the father that I always was longing for. And I knew that I was absolutely sinful and lost and deserved death at that moment for the things I had done. And the realization of this was so overwhelming, I just blacked out. I dropped like a ton of bricks, boom, gone. I could not handle it. I came to, somehow Elizabeth helped me get out of there. We went back to her dorm. I came to laying in the grass outside her dorm, crying. I couldn't stop crying. And I remember looking around and looking at the trees and going, I feel like I've never seen trees before. I remember looking up at the sky going, oh my gosh, I feel like everything is new I feel like I'm living in a new world. I feel like I've been born again. Now, I hated that term before, you guys. But I loved it now. And Elizabeth said, Colin, why are you crying? 
I said, because Elizabeth, you don't know the things I've done, and now I know that God's real, and I know that he's there, and I know that he loves me, and I know that right now I deserve to die. He needs, he needs to kill me, and I was fully, absolutely expecting it, absolutely expecting it. And she's going, no, Colin, you don't understand. Jesus died in your place. He died so you don't have to. If you believe in him, all of your sins are washed away. You can have that relationship with God that you're afraid you've lost. And you guys know the word gospel means good news. I had always hated that word before. But to me, that night was the best news I ever heard. And it's still the best news anyone can ever hear. And so I gave my life to Jesus And I walked away from my band, and I walked away from drugs, and I walked away from a sinful lifestyle, not because I had to obey a bunch of rules, but because knowing Jesus was better than those things, because I knew what was at the bottom of them, and it was empty and bitter and depressing and a cup full of death. And for the first time, I had tasted life, and I didn't want any more of that stuff. And so I walked away from all that, and God began speaking to me, and, and all kinds of amazing things happened. The Lord uh, saved me in an amazing way. It's funny, like a couple days after, uh, he touched me, and I'm going to wrap up in just a second here. A couple days after he touched me, he told me, Colin, I want you to go hang out with Britt Hancock. And I'm like, oh, I don't like him. <laughs> he's he's kind of got those scary eyes. I don't want to be around him. And uh, so the Lord... Um, told me to go, and so I went and knocked on his door. Hey, yeah, I don't know if you remember me, but... Well, Elizabeth had half the campus praying for me, and Britt had been praying for me, and he's like, yes, I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. And over the next months and years, as God began to teach me about himself, Britt would just show me where it was in the Bible. And so the Lord did an amazing thing, and, and I, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be standing here sharing it with you, because I should be dead right now, you guys. And so as he would show it to me in the Bible, it gave me a uh, much greater understanding of, of who Jesus is because I had experienced the man and I was understanding the word that he, that he brought to me. But the thing we have to keep in mind is that God intended for us to be in an intimate relationship with him and not just an intimate relationship with the Bible, right? And knowing the Bible is not the same as knowing God. I've, I had professors in college that knew the Bible extraordinarily well and, and didn't know a shred of, of, of the person, Jesus Christ. And the Lord wants us to have a relationship with him that is beyond just knowing about him. Like, I know some things about Abraham Lincoln. How many of y'all know some things about Abraham Lincoln? Absolutely. Do you know Abraham Lincoln? Me neither. I know some things about Jesus. I know some things about him. I love learning about him. This is probably our most crucial, important tool for learning about him. But it's not the same as knowing him. Because knowing him is something we experience. And Jesus died for us to have an experiential relationship with him that is full of life and full of abundance and full of peace, and joy, and power, and all of the things that the world is clamoring for. And when we get it, it's contagious. It should be contagious.
I'd like for us to bow our heads together. And I just want to pray for us. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you called us to relationship with you. Thank you that you made us for intimacy with you, Lord. And God, thank you that when nothing else would do, you sent your only son to die in our place, to restore us to that intimate relationship with you. Right now, Father, I pray all across this room that you would break anything that is keeping us back from knowing you more. That all lesser loves, Lord God, would be put aside. That there would be nothing else that we would cleave to, nothing else that we would run to. That we could say with the psalmist, all my fountains, Lord God, are in you. All my fountains are in you. Jesus, let your spirit of love and revelation enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might know you more. We want to know you more. And if there's anyone here today that has not entered into that relationship that I'm talking about today, today is the day for you. Today is the day for you to invite Jesus into your heart. Today is the day for you to appropriate his payment for your sins on the cross so you can have a perfect relationship with a perfect God. If you're in that place, if you'd like to make that commitment today, would you, would you mind just raising your hand? close for a moment. I, I feel as though the incredible word from Colin for Christians, people who believe but have found themselves stuck. Stuck under the rules, stuck uh, without real communion with God. You've sort of uh, maybe walked uh, away not in your mind, but in your activities and in being distracted and, and just you're, you're, the relationship is not secure. And I just want to challenge you today to give your heart back to Jesus all across the room. The, the sense that I have is that believers who believe a certain, um, they believe a certain list of things about God Today is your day to reattach with the person of Jesus Christ. Today is your day to go beyond just believing these things and to engage, re-engage with Jesus himself. Listen, any sin that you've committed, any failure, any mistake, any foolish distraction you've found yourself in, today is your day to be rescued from that. 
And so just with your eyes closed and your head, kind of your head bowed, heads bowed, if that's you, if I'm describing you even as a believer, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you forward, but I want you to sort of make a, a commitment here and say, Pastor Ross, would you pray for me? Just raise your hand up in the air right now. Just say, yep, that's me. I'm, I'm coming back. I am reestablishing. Yep, I see your hands back here. Anybody else? You over here on the left side? Anybody else? Over here on the right side? Yeah, this is your moment to say yes to Jesus, to renew your commitment to a relationship, not a commitment to a list of facts, not a list of rules, not even all the scriptures that you know you may have violated, but to Jesus. And so come on, let's all pray about this. Jesus, would you help us, each one of us, who have lost our way, who feel as though we're, we're, we're kind of caught in the darkness of our of our own uh, attitudes and, and actions and distractions. We found ourselves separated from you, either by our own decision or just kind of wandering away, wandering off the path, maybe insisting on our own way. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the person Would you reestablish our relationship with you? We come to you and we say, have your way. We surrender our lives once again. We want relationship with you. We want to, to, to know you beyond everything else. We want to know your touch. We want to know your ways. We want to know your will. We want to know you. And so, Holy Spirit, we receive you now. We receive the work of Christ. The forgiveness of sins and offer of relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father. We receive it. We take it now. In Jesus' name.